Hello, everybody. This is a journey through history. Today is April 4th, 2023. And tonight we have uh, David Fauche is hosting as he does three times a year, David, three or four yes, times a year, three times three, a year. Yeah. To, to discuss a historical fiction book. And tonight we're doing switchboard soldiers. I'll let him give all the other particulars since I can't remember the author's name. Sorry about that. But uh, anyway, we've got a good crowd here. We've got a dozen folks here right now and uh, uh, welcome to everybody. And uh, we're looking forward to the, to the discussion. I want to thank everyone for coming, and I wanted to say that we'll be discussing Switchboard Soldiers, a novel by Jennifer. She pronounces it Chiaverini, which I hadn't realized. You'll hear that in a minute when Brad plays the presentation for us. It's a World War I novel. I have not done any World War I books yet, and so I did this one. I am hoping, though, for August or December, I can find something really different and really in a different setting. I've been a lot in the past 20th century as Europe sort of thing, and I'd like to leave that for a while. I won't say anything else except that, I, of course, I'm glad everyone was able to make it, and I'll let Brad play the presentation, and then we can call on everyone one at a time to say something. And then if we have time left, anyone who wants to say something else is certainly welcome. Nice. All right. I'm going to mute everybody. We're going to play it. Um, it's a little bit under 16 and a half minutes, a little shorter than usual. So okay. here we go. Welcome to Journey Through History for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. Our novel is Switchboard Soldiers by Jennifer Chiaverini. The Watch Your Next Podcast. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there. That the Yanks are coming, the Yanks are coming, the drums, drums coming everywhere. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to What's Your Next Podcast. Well, I uh, write novels, and I've been at this for quite a while now. I published my first novel in 1999. I got started by writing a series of books called the Elm Creek Quilts Novels. Mm -hmm. Because when you're an aspiring writer and you're just getting started, the advice that... The advice that I got, and I imagine a lot of writers get, is write what you know. Mm -hmm. And I was, and I am still a quilter, and I know all about quilters' inside jokes. And, and we won't come back till it's over, over there. So I wrote a book about the secret lives of quilters. And then I wrote another one and another one. And before I knew it, I was writing a series. And even when I was writing those mostly contemporary books, I always loved to indulge my love of history, especially women's roles in history and marginalized people's roles in history. All of the people who contributed to society and culture, but maybe only made it into the footnotes or the margins if they made it into the narrative at all. So I kind of moved away from the series and into just historical fiction, although I do still bring out an Elm Creek Quilts novel every now and then. But I really love to write stories that explore 
the lives of particularly women whose contributions have gone unheralded or maybe someone else claimed credit for them. And so let's chat about the Stretch Poor Soldiers. This is actually a, a story that was, I did learn about them while I was researching a previous novel, but that's not the elevator pitch because those have to be brief. So Switchboard Soldiers is a story of the courageous young women who served as telephone operators in France with the United States Army Signal Corps during World War I. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, telephones were the most important means of communication between U.S. Army headquarters and allied outposts and troops in the field. I know we have this idea of radios, but that didn't come along until later. So it was still telephones that were essential for communications. So telephone operators were absolutely essential to the war effort. It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to go. And their perseverance and courage and skill and dedication not only helped the Allies achieve victory, but also convinced a skeptical American president and Congress and public that American women, too, deserve the right to vote. Mm-hmm. So the, these wonderful, valiant women of the U.S. Army Signal Corps broke down barriers and they cleared the way for generations of women who followed after them, not only in the military, but in all aspects of public and professional life. To think they were so crucial to victory, and most of us have had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so now I should tell you, since I teased it, I should tell you how I got the idea for this story. It was while I was writing my previous novel, while I, while I was researching it, uh, it was called The Women's March. Mm-hmm. And it was about the um, 1913 women's suffrage procession mm-hmm. that was held at Alice Paul and Ida B. Wells Barnett and so many other women involved in, this, in the suffrage movement. They, they held it on the day before Woodrow Wilson's inauguration, and it was supposed to be this wonderful, massive parade, and it was to put him on notice that he was going to have to pay attention to women's suffrage during his administration. Researching that book, I learned just what a misogynist Woodrow Wilson was, and he was also a racist. You were able to keep those things hidden a little bit better during campaigns back then than in our media age, but he he was pretty bad and he was was very against women's suffrage. But in the course of researching this book, I I came across almost an aside where uh, a historian noted that Woodrow Wilson was so impressed with the way that women conducted themselves, American women conducted themselves during the war to end all wars, as we thought and hoped it would be at the time, that he realized that they really did deserve the right to vote. They had proven themselves ready to take on the responsibilities of citizenship, and they deserve the right to vote, too. And I just like, just froze. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy, this notorious misogynist suddenly decided that women deserve deserve the right to vote. Well, what was it that women did 
to so completely change his mind. I filed that away. I thought, I've got to learn more about this. So when that book was complete, I started doing more research. And I knew that women had been involved as nurses because their, their stories have been, it has been shared and been known. But I really wanted to see, well, what else was it? And then I learned more about how um, women took on so many roles on the World War I home front. We know very much about Rosie the Riveter. We have that iconic image in our minds from World War II, but even with the First World War, women were taking roles that had been traditionally the province of men. They were streetcar operators, mail carriers, letter carriers, post office workers. They worked in factories. And I was I was surprised and you know in hindsight it was well of course they did but what really impressed me was the story of women who actually served over there and that's when I learned about the switchboard operators who went and served bravely and at great risk to their own lives in World War 1 because um you know when general pershing went over there when the united states joined the war in in 1917 he went over to france and he found a communication system that was just not up to what he knew he would need in order to lead his troops and, and the technology was ju- in france was just not um, very good there were a lot of rather antique instruments mm-hmm. and At this point, American technology, American telephone technology was just the best in the world, and American telephone operators were also the best in the world. So they brought over the technology, and they were setting things up, and they put male soldiers at the switchboard. They would take male telegraph operators or other soldiers who had enlisted, and they would try to train them, but they just weren't very good at it. They just didn't have the training. They couldn't do it as fast and as as quickly and as accurately as he was. General Pershing was used to from the wonderful service back home. And this was really considered women's work. Mm-hmm. Telephone operating was considered women's work. So virtually all telephone operators in the U.S. were women. So when General Pershing told U.S. Army headquarters, I have to have the best telephone operators we can get over here if we're going to win this war. Well, they really had no choice but to recruit women. Now, at this point, women were not allowed in the U.S. Army. The Navy allowed women to enlist and they were put into various clerical jobs and so forth to free up men to go to sea. But mm-hmm. the army was not enlisting women. They didn't have any role for that. And in, in fact, in most states, women couldn't even vote yet. There were some states that had passed measures allowing women to vote, but not only could they not enlist the army, they couldn't. most of them couldn't even vote. So despite all of that, when General Pershing said, I need the best telephone operators that we can get, and therefore that means women, the U.S. Army started recruiting women. And these women had to have very special skills. These were highly sensitive positions. Mm -hmm. So they had to be absolutely the best of the best Mm -hmm. at their job because these calls had to be connected. And if they weren't and messages didn't get through, battles would be lost and lives would be lost. Mm -hmm. And they also had to be 
absolutely fluent in French mm-hmm. because they would be communicating with French officers and French headquarters and all of that. And sometimes the operators would have to translate mm-hmm. on during that call between an American or a British officer who could not speak French, their French counterparts who were not fluent in English. They had to be able to translate perfectly, flawlessly while the call was going on. And then, of course, they had to have absolutely impeccable qualities of discretion and loyalty because they'd be dealing with very, very sensitive information. So when the call went out for women to serve their country in this way, something like 7,600 applied, but only a very small fraction of that even made it onto the next level of training and final qualifications and final selection for for going abroad. That's so fascinating. You can see why I was so eager to write this book because it's just such a, these, these women made such incredible contributions and yet they're largely not remembered for what they contributed today. I decided to conclude the presentation with the segment from the podcast where the author is discussing some of her favorite books. I thought that might interest you. I love to read, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like to read a lot of different genres. When I'm writing a book, I I tend to read a lot of history and biography, if I, especially if I'm writing historical fiction. But I, I really love to read historical fiction for pleasure. But that said... I never will just limit myself to a single genre because there are just too many wonderful books out there in all different genres. One of my very favorite historical novels that I've read in recent years is The Women of the Copper Country by Mary Doria Russell. She's my absolute favorite author. And when I did have the opportunity to meet her a few years ago at a book festival in Ohio, I probably horribly embarrassed myself by fangirling all over the place, but she was very gracious and lovely about my fangirling. She's just a masterful storyteller. And this particular novel is about the Calumet, Michigan copper mining strike of 1913. So at the same time, you know, my characters were marching in Washington, her characters were having a mining strike in Northern Michigan. It's absolutely riveting. And the story was the, the, the strike was led by a 25-year-old, six-foot-five wife of a miner. Her name was, they were, she was called Big Annie Clements. With her in the lead, the miners demanded better wages and safer working conditions after just terrible injuries and gruesome deaths. Just They just became commonplace. What I love about this book is uh, Mary Doria Russell's just eloquent prose and her flawless use of period detail. And of course, her characters are just so absolutely true to life. So I would say this book is a must read, but I uh, recently finished Sea of Tranquility by mm-hmm. Emily St. John Mandel. And she is another one of my very, very favorite authors. And then for something completely different, I'm going to recommend another book that I read recently because it's not the usual kind of book I read, but I, I just was, I I couldn't put it down. And that is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. 
And this is kind of a mystery, uh, a bit of a thriller and a, a bit of a whodunit, which is not usually what I pick up. But I was drawn to this story because it is about a stolen Stradivarius. And I love classical music. The main character who has the Stradivarius stolen is an African-American man who is this absolutely brilliant violinist. And so in addition to the mystery, which is very compelling about how how this Stradivarius that was so, you know absolutely priceless, how it got stolen and all of these different suspects with and their fraught relationships but it also talks about the classical musical or the classical music world and the place that african american artists have within it and the institutional racism they face the struggles that they face just to be able to walk through the door and then there's also, in addition to that very compelling social story, then you also have a violin competition, a performance competition. So you, you have all of these elements going on at the same time, and they're all so fascinating and compelling, and they all come together so seamlessly. And the author is himself an African-American violinist, so he knows the world he's writing about. I love hearing about a world that the author knows intimately and can give you this insider perspective. Okay. You can find me online. My website is jenniferchiaverini.com. I'm also on Facebook at Jennifer Chiaverini Author. Thank you, Jennifer, for being on the show. Oh, it was wonderful. Thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been an interview with Jennifer Chiaverini the author of Switchboard Soldiers. Everybody should be able to unmute. Now we get to the interesting part where I get to call on people and find out what everyone thought. So let me start. I wish I could hear you. I wanted to call on somebody now. Um, Alan, would you like to help me with that? People are saying they have trouble hearing me. Uh, I'll be happy to do whatever you need me to do, David. Yes, go ahead and just okay. call on people and I'll comment when I can. Okay, well, I, I will say, based on what the author said, the women of the Copper Country is available on BARD. DB 96426, if that struck anybody's fancy, because it sounded pretty good to me, too. So there there, there we go. Uh, I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and go first before I call on anybody, if that's OK. And uh, I, I really enjoyed this book. This this, this was a great selection. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all know I like strong women and, and, and these women kicked butt. I'm telling you, they, they were just really, really good. I, I had no idea that all this existed. I mean, and. Anybody that, that, that wants to underestimate the importance of communications during war, uh, I, I mean, if your communication systems ain't working, you ain't winning the war. So uh, uh, the, 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 these women did a great service. And uh, 
I, I have a hard time picturing, you know, with all the radios and all the cell phones and everything we have, you know, that the, the military probably now uses lugging all this telephone equipment around and stuff. But apparently that's, that's how they did it back then. And I just thought the author did a very good job of giving us the, his, the historical background while weaving together a good story with characters that were, they were interesting to follow and stuff. So, uh, uh, I, I, I thought, I thought, I thought, it, I thought, it, I thought it was an ex, an excellent choice. So, uh, thanks. And, and thanks for letting me go first. And so let's see y'all who I'll call on next. Let's see. Don queen. I see you had your hand up a second ago. Do you want to say something? Okay. Let's see. Brad, did you read the book? Do you want to comment? You know, uh, unfortunately, I gave this book a try. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to get past chapter one. I set it aside and intended to come back to it. Right. But ended up getting involved in reading some other stuff. And before I knew it, it was almost time for the book club. So <laughs> maybe you want to go back. I was on my yeah, we'll screen. We'll sneak up on you. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I understand. There, there's, we have lots to read out there. So I understand. What can completely. I say? Uh, okay. I had the best of intentions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mary, you're a visitor this time at David's request. So you want to go now? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I absolutely loved the book. Um it was fantastic. I love the way that she, um, you know, I know it was fiction. I, I love the way that she described their families at the opening and, and what kind of lives they were living before they were, um, before they got into um, the army and everything. And um, it was really, really a fantastic book. I've read um, 17 of her Elm Creek Quilts novels, and I've enjoyed just about all of those as well. Well, good, good. Okay. Well, did you say you read? She have seventeen of the quilt novels. Oh, there's there's more that I haven't read. She, my last count, she had twenty. Man, okay, she's been busy. All right, and they're they're all available in both Braille and audio from Bard. Well, great. Well, we're glad you're here and you're welcome to come at any of our book groups anytime. So we hope to see you again. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be okay. here. Okay. Let's see. Eric, uh, is that you, Don? Yes, it is. I've been trying. I'm very so sorry I've been late, but I wanted to say how much I like the book. And uh, I enjoyed the presentation tonight, too. It was it was very good. Very nice. Uh, any other comments? Now that we have you speaking now? Uh, are you hearing me? Yes. Yeah, you're, 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 coming, you're coming through good. Erico 510 is you, I guess, right? You dialed in? Yeah. <laughs> Alex? We got your, we got your yes. computer on here, too, and you're unmuted on the computer. So. I'm both of them now. Well, oh. yeah. I'll turn this one off. Uh, doesn't, doesn't matter. Keep talking. Doesn't matter. Yeah, You're fine. Say. Is this better now? You're, You're fine. good. You're, You're good. Fine. I'm now. And, um, first, 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 and uh, 
You're starting to fade a little bit, Don. So, well, we'll we we will go to the next person, Jenna Latrell. Okay. Well, I did not know about Switchboard Soldiers, and I really enjoyed this book. It was a good, uh, it was very informative and a good story as well. Jennifer Cavari just knows how to write a good story. Um. It was these these girls were just so courageous and they they were in danger crossing the ocean and um, they really had such a a work ethic. They even wanted to go to work during the uh, during the bombing. So I think that the the scene that really affected me the most was when the bombs started going off and it was time for them it was time for their shift and they were worried about getting to work and they timed, timed it so that they could go to work between bombings. It was very dangerous. And, um, and of course it was just horrible that they didn't even get uh, recognized until 19, what was it? 1978 or something like that. When most of them had, had already passed away. Anyway, I thought it was a very good book, and thank you for recommending it. Nice. Okay, uh, Kathy Snyder. Okay, well, I like everyone else. I didn't realize that the women um, did that did that in France for the United States Army, and then of course, you know, it always figures, but they weren't even included as actual soldiers and didn't get their pension that was kind of irritating but anyway but i enjoyed the beginning of it and then i got bored with it towards the middle and so i read about two-thirds of it and then skipped to the end so that was it i don't know why i got bored with it so okay fair enough thank you uh ladon Yes, I thought this was a very interesting uh, book about something that I had never heard of before. And uh, that, like uh, Alan was saying, they were very, very strong and dedicated uh, soldiers. It was too bad that they didn't recognize after the war uh, as what they really were, part of the military. So they was kind of cheated out of their due in the end. I thought, uh, I thought they spent a little too much time telling us what they ate. It seemed like to, I was always finding out what they were eating. And and since it was a, a novel based on history, and I know the author wanted to stay really close to uh, the actual events that she was talking about, but I thought she could have included a little more drama in the book perhaps she could have wrote about the people who were stringing that wire out because that telephone had to be the telephone wire had to be strung right out to the very front so that uh, they could do orders it would switchboard would not work if the 
if the wire wasn't stretched out. So I thought it could have included a little more drama. So I thought the book moved a little bit slow, but it was very interesting uh, learning about something I didn't know about. And she does write well, and it was well narrated too. So those were my little thoughts. Nice. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to disagree. You can't, you can't talk too much about food, in my opinion, but that, that's me. And that's my opinion. So okay. But, but I, I agree. Yeah. That they could have included some of that stuff. I, I, I'm always wondering about the technology, about all the wiring and stuff. That, that had to be a mess. I can't imagine how uh, they got it done. Yeah. But, long, uh, long string uh, of wire. Uh, no kidding. Okay. All right. Uh, Sherry Wills. Well, like everybody else, I really enjoyed the book. Thought it was really interesting. Hadn't known anything about these women. I liked a lot of the trivia she included, like the fact that the French decorated the streets with red, white, and blue on the 4th of July. I'm sure that must have happened or she wouldn't have included it. Um, Also, it was interesting that they said the American operators tended to say numbers like 7564, and the French would say 7564. And that was really interesting, too. Just a small difference. Who knows where it came from? But that was probably an adjustment that um, people had to get used to. And also, I didn't know this, but the YW, they kept talking about the YWCA. Right. And I didn't realize that was an international organization and that it had started that long ago. So that was also interesting. And it was nice that their lives were uh, realistic. They made friends while they were there, really close friends. And they also like uh, the, oh gosh, the head woman, I can't remember her name right now, Dana, maybe, I don't know. She had a love interest that she ended up turning down because she knew she didn't want to move to Australia. That was a nice change of pace. Grace, Grace that's right. Yeah. 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 That was a nice change of pace because usually authors will will not end a romance. They'll just further it. And so that was a nice change of pace. And I guess she was a real person from reading the author's note at the end, but the Mm. other ones were composites. So in any case, I really liked the book. I'm glad I read it. Nice. Good comments, as always. Thanks. Betsy Grenovich. Audio now alert. I enjoyed the book. I liked her going between the people and I liked her keeping you in suspense for um, what they would do. Like, I wasn't sure if that one girl was going to marry the guy in Australia or not. I suspect that she wouldn't by some, but you never knew for sure. And so I really enjoyed. I liked, I saw several places, you know, where she showed, she showed their courage. But my favorite one, though, it was difficult was the fire and how those operators still stayed in that room and did it and how the soldiers went in and sprayed down the room and they still came out safe and they put their country first and they saved the piano too yeah. yes they did that was always <laughs> yes. I was yeah. about how they were going to save that piano and i knew how much they loved to have it because it was given to them and right, they saved right. It too. yeah okay uh, is that it any other comments okay thank you uh, Deborah Kendrick. Uh, am I unmuted? You are. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, well, as I I mentioned earlier, I learned about this book because I came to another group, and David recommended it, and um, I have faith in David's recommendation, so I went to check it out, and it was a topic and a whole era that I was. Um, not familiar with, but what reeled me in instantly was that 
the way that the author sets the book up is introducing these three main characters from different parts of the United States. And Marie, who is from Cincinnati, um, I'm from Cincinnati, and it was just, so, I don't know, just so thrilling to read, you know, this 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 character set in all the places I know so well. And, and you know, they lived in Mount Auburn, where there are all these old, stately, wonderful homes that now cost zillions of dollars. Um, but, you know, and then the, the, she goes to work in Hartwell, and, and she's connected to the Cincinnati Symphony. And I, I was a little sad to learn in the author's note that she was a, a fictionalized character because I hoped throughout that this character, the daughter of a, a an operatic diva who also was so gifted, I had hoped that was based in reality. But anyway, she's very real to me. And I so I, that was what reeled me in. And then the rest of the book was easy to I. It surprises me that some people had to put it down. I, I found it just really lovely from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, I, my favorite scene, I think, in the whole book, and I think, um, even though it is fictionalized and and shows her talent as a writer, I like to think that it was that it something like it really happened was when Valerie is teaching she does she's an unwilling teacher but she's rises to the call and um has the the man who is so um incredibly rude to her and says he won't be taught by a woman and so forth and mm. and how she handled I just loved that <laughs> that whole chapter it was lovely how she handled him and and she won she was victorious so um yeah, so so David, I want to say thank you for recommending the book. I learned so much and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I'm a bit ashamed I did not know about this piece of our history before. And then I have one question for you because um, I love the presentation you did. But did did you search for the song? Was the song a real song? Yes, I found those and put them into the podcast. <clears throat> Oh. Or do you mean the switchboard soldiers song? The song they wrote for the piano, the 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 girls. That wasn't in there, oh, was it? No, 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 no. That's yeah. No, oh, no. you mean was, I mean oh, the yes, other music. I was right. no. Yeah, the no, other no, music. I was yeah, I was familiar I with, find with the, the music that you used. I couldn't yeah. find the switchboard song. I'm not sure it ever existed. I think she did right. that. I was wondering I, if it existed and okay. wonder what tune it was written. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say I found the attitude of the French telephone operators disgraceful. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That switchboard yeah. soldier song may be sung by people over there, but never got recorded anywhere. That could be. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. I, I was surprised the interviewer didn't ask her in the 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 podcast that we heard, but um but anyway, with that that would be that would be a fun thing to learn at some point. It it, it seems like it, it it felt not made up. You know, the the made up detail probably was the love interest of Marie having written it. That was 
It was just the right touch of romance, you know, having Marie and Giovanni find each other at the end. But um, I don't know. The song, it felt real to me. It felt like something that she uncovered. But but um, but if you couldn't find it, David, maybe maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Deborah. Let's see. Let's see. I think, uh, David, you want to, uh, I think it's, I think you're the last one now. I just wanted to say the book was interesting and that it did explore an area of history. I was unfamiliar with, and I also agree that it was said these women did not get recognized until the late seventies when many were no longer here. That was an outrage. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I can't say I'm surprised today. When it comes to paying out money and stuff, the government seems to be able to have a short memory indeed sometimes. And other times they throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but I have to agree with Deborah that, 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 that scene where that sergeant was being such a A-H, and she put him down. I tell you, I enjoyed enjoyed that, too. That was great. She she said, I outrank you, and you're on KP. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah, That was nice. Her her commander, the one above her is one that gave her permission and told her that she had the authority to do that. All right. So then, then she yeah. exercised that authority when it, and then when he came back, when he did after after escape, he came back, he turned out to be one of her star students. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He needed he an saw attitude the, he saw, adjustment. Yeah, he saw the error in his ways, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I forget which girl it was, but her brother, the photographer, that was really cool too. Uh-huh. They, yeah, yeah. They yeah, ended yeah. up meeting. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't kill him off or anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was uh Valerie, right? Is that right? I think so. Yeah. 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 Valerie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, David, uh, this is your show. You got anything else to say or uh, Um, y'all want to talk about next month's book or what? Everybody's commented. I think we're done. Um, Actually, we're done early tonight. I didn't find as many podcasts on this as I would have liked. So that's why it was a little shorter. I guess we can get on to Don's uh, promo promo now. I, I will have to say that Jennifer did a real good job, but, but that interviewer was horrible. She, uh, I don't think she, she, she didn't say two words. I heard her kept, she kept making some kind of noise during the things. She's going when, mm, mm, or something. I don't know. I, kept making noise I, and, I, I edited her bad. down. I did not care for her gravelly, raspy, lazy way of talking. Yeah, yeah. I she, edited she her down great. as much as I could. Uh, yeah. You did a good job. I, I hardly yeah, noticed did. her. Yeah, she was no Terry Gross, that's for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> I thought well, after she got off talking about this book and started talking about other books, I thought that part was unnecessary. What? Who cares what other books she read? Well, it was kind of interesting, just in case she mentioned mm-hmm. one you might want to read. Perhaps. Yeah, I thought so too. I like to know what authors read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I was to. thrilled to hear her mention Mary Doria Russell, who's one of my favorite authors, and I didn't realize that she had, I I wasn't familiar with that 
particular book. I thought she stopped writing about 10 years ago. So um, she's done some science fiction as well as yeah. historic. She's eclectic. That's, those are the books I know. And I don't read science fiction, but um, Mary Doria Russell's science fiction is. Yeah. The Sparrow, literature. I think it was called. That's the right. Sparrow. Yeah. Yeah. Sequel. Yeah. The Children of God. I think it's called. Do we have another program? Yeah. Are we ready to play the program promo? I think so. All righty. Let's do it. Here we go. On Tuesday, May the 2nd, we will be discussing the biography of Captain James Cook by Richard Huff, H-O-U-G-H, D-B-41944. Hours. He began uh, with his father as a farm laborer and ended up to be one of history's greatest explorers. From the book jacket, James Cook, born in 1728 rose from the lowest ranks of the Merchant Marine, then through the Royal Navy, to become one of the most celebrated men of his time, the last and the greatest of the romantic navigator-slash-explorers. His voyages to the eastern and western seaboards of North America, the North and South Pacific, the Arctic and the Antarctic, brought a new understanding of the world's geography and of the peoples, flora and fauna of the lands he discovered. Richard Huff's meticulously researched narrative captures all the excitement of this age of discovery and establishes Cook as a link between the vague scientific speculations of the early 18th century and the Industrial Revolution to come. He pioneered the use of new navigational technology, measuring and recording endlessly, producing maps of unprecedented accuracy. He revolutionized the seaman's diet, all but eliminating scurvy. Always seeking the truth of geography, Cook was also an exploder of myths. Among them, that of the great southern continent imagined by earlier geographers and scientists. Huff has consulted archives in England, Australia, and New Zealand, and has traveled in Cook's wake from Alaska to Tasmania, visiting many of the Pacific Islands, including the spot where Cook was stoned to death by cannibals in the Hawaiian archipelago. The result of Huff's research is a stunningly readable biography, full of new insights and interpretations of one of the world's greatest mariners. About the author. Richard Huff's best-known books include The Longest Battle, The War at Sea, 1939-45, and The Official History of the Mountbatten Family. 
stoned to death by cannibals. That was kind of a spoiler then. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I didn't know it was cannibals. I knew he was killed in Hawaii, but don't be uh, late for dinner, huh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This author the has written name? a lot of books. Um, if we like this book, if we like his writing style, because I was just trying to get it from a public library, and um, he's written a lot of books that could be very interesting about I don't know how you- historical people. His last name spelled H O U G H. It looks like I'm, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. They said Huff, so it's Richard in that spelling. Okay, yeah, yeah. Richard H O U, yeah, H O U G H. Well, that'll be good. I don't know anything about James Cook. So. Yeah, me neither. Let's just be called Captain James Cook. Yeah. yeah, Captain James Cook. Thank you. I was, and my for it. I, I, sure. I was looking up book numbers. I, I thought we were muted while that was going, so I apologize. I wonder who that was and if that was Don. Uh, yeah, that was me. Uh, there was, uh, well, there was a lot of uh, Jaws on Don's promo, too. Cause, uh, that wasn't sure if it was Don or, or Alan. Maybe. No, there was a lot of it was on the, pro, on the promo. Okay. I listened to it earlier. Okay. My, my, my apologies. But, uh, oh, no problem. Yes. Okay. I'll do it by accident. Hey, it's on Bookshare as well, now that I know how to spell the last name. Okay, good. That's where I read most of mine. I'm a Braille reader more than audio. Right. Okay. Okay, Captain, are we dismissed or or what? Uh, this is your show. David? Um, yes, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I hope you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. Uh, your volume just uh, a little soft, but we can always turn you up. I'm yeah. going to have to figure out what's going on with that. I got my computer back up. It had crashed for a couple of weeks, so I'm glad I'm at least here. But yes. um, I'll definitely tweak this microphone thing. And That's okay. Ellie Don has left the meeting alert. It sounds, you're not, like, it sounds like we're all but done. You're not, using, you're, not using, you're not using a USB hub, are you? No. Okay. No. All right. Well, it's a... That, that was Ladon's problem, it seems like. So, okay. 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 Well, thanks, well, thanks David. Everybody. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Hey, thanks. Great choice. Enjoyed David. it. Yeah. It was very, Thank you. Very good choice. Good I, I love reading Bye. something good and learning, too. That's great. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Everybody take Don't care. Don't be late for dinner in case you're it. David has left yes. the meeting. End meeting or leave meeting. Okay. Kathy Snyder has left the meeting. All right. Bye-bye. I'm going to end the meeting, then. We'll see everybody right. next month. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.